we end up having a lot of conversation these days at my house and in the, situ the situations that I'm in about whether social media is a good thing or a bad thing. I think we've all had it long enough to see the good and see the bad. I tend to be somebody who is more on the hopeful side. I'm kind of a glass half full guy. And I've just seen some amazing things come out of social media. There's people in my life, somebody who just tried to call me during the service. They must not know where I am on Sunday mornings. Uh, but uh, I got a call from somebody who I met via social media who's a real friend. And I just love the relationships that have come through that. And right before I moved to Prescott, almost six years ago, to become the lead pastor here at Cornerstone, I met somebody on social media, and he happened to be a player for the Arizona Cardinals. And I was a big Cardinals fan, and so that worked out really well for me. But just a couple months later, I had to call him and say, hey, I'm so sorry, I'm moving. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, yeah, I'm moving 100 miles away. I'm not going very far. And so we kept in touch. And so when it came to football season in the fall of 2016, he said, hey, come down to a training camp day, hang out, and then we can see each other after camp is over. So I took Wesley with me. He was four at the time. Um, and, uh, and he did well for a while, but watching a two and a half hour football practice was not as exciting for him as it was for me. So eventually he started playing on my phone and we moved up to the top of the concourse and we were waiting for the families to get together to go down to the field afterwards. And I was talking with a buddy who came with me and we're just chatting. And then the lady who works for the Cardinal said, hey, we're going to go. So we start walking down the concourse and we're talking and we're talking. And all of a sudden I hear this. Ah! And if you're a parent, you know, from the time your child is born, they have a unique scream. And when you hear that scream, something goes off physiologically inside of you. And I realized that was my son screaming. And so I turned around and I sprinted back down the concourse. Yes, I forgot my son. <laughs> dad, dad, you left me. You left me. You forgot me. And uh, I did. I did forget him. Luckily, there was another Arizona Cardinals employee who was super nice, who was waiting for the next group. And she was there with him. And I start walking him back down the concourse, what I call the walk of shame. Um, and I got back to the group and one of the linemen on the Cardinals, I think it was Mike Upati at the time, his wife turned to me, she's Samoan, and she said, dad fail. <laughs> but a few minutes later, we were on the field, we were running laps back and forth. He was playing with our friend and it was totally forgotten. But I thought about that moment this week as I was preparing this message because in that moment with Wesley and I, I was close to him, but I wasn't really with him. We've all had those kind of moments where somebody is, is close to us. They're like sitting next to us, but they're on their phone and they're not really with us. Or you're talking to somebody and you realize they're not really with you and you ask them a question and they can't answer it because they weren't really listening. And I learned in that moment that, that Wesley was sitting right next to me. He was playing on my phone and I was close to him, but I wasn't really with him because when I walked away, I had no idea I'd left him behind. See, that's the key takeaway that I hope you have at the end of this message. If you're taking notes, our big idea today is this. The secret to fruitfulness is not nearness, but withness. The secret to fruitfulness in our relationship with God is not nearness, but withness. You say, Scott, that's not a word. I know. I made it up. I have that prerogative. Sounds a little bit like witness, but really it's withness. And today we're going to talk about the power of being with God. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to pull it out, turn it on, 
and open it up to John chapter 15. It's going to be our, our text for today. If you're new to church or new to the Bible, it's totally cool. Open your Bible up to the very beginning. There's two sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Under that New Testament heading, there's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in John. Those four books are all biographies of the life of Jesus. If you don't have a Bible, just open up Google if you're watching from home and type this into the search bar. You'll find it. We're in a series as we lead towards Easter, which is next week, and the series is called Jesus According to Jesus. Lots of people have opinions about Jesus. This week, if you're watching cable TV, you'll see an ad for a documentary on Discovery Channel or National Geographic, the History Channel. Maybe you'll see a a magazine at the grocery store talking about Jesus. Everybody has thoughts on Jesus. In this series, we're saying, who did Jesus say that he was? In his own words, we've been going to the source and looking at his own statements. And today, we're in the second to last one in John chapter 15. At Cornerstone, we have a tradition of standing to honor God's word. And so would you stand with me? If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow along on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes... And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. So remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you. Unless you remain in me, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray that we wouldn't just be near you today. We pray that we would experience your presence in a real way. As our Bibles are open right now, we pray that our hearts and minds would be too, to hear what it is you're speaking to us. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. As we dive into this passage, I want to let you know this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I went back, and I think this is the fourth time in six years in a variety of series we've ended up in this text. And I'm not teaching from this text, and I don't love this text because I have mastered this text. Far from it. I love this text because I need this text as a continual reminder. This is a text I love not because of my strength in this year, but because of my weakness. So I'm not here to share with you as somebody who has mastered what we're going to talk about. I'm here to share with you as somebody who's sharing the things I've learned from failure and stumbling. And so there's four things we need to know today about this text. And the first one is that Jesus is the true vine. That's the I am statement he makes in this text. He opens it up by saying, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener, John 15 one. In this series, Jesus has been saying all sorts of statements. Saying 
is I am the true vine. And that's significant because of who he's speaking to. This passage, this book was not written to 21st century Americans living in the Western U.S. This text was not written to you originally. It is certainly for you. But it was not written to you originally. It was written to a group of people living around the first few years of what we call A.D. time, living in the Middle East, living in Judea. And to them, he was saying, I am the true Israel. Now, this is significant because throughout the Old Testament, the story of Israel God uses the analogy of a vine to describe his people. In the middle of the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, chapter 80, the writer says, you dug a vine from Egypt. That's a reference to the people of Israel being in captivity in Egypt and God bringing them out. You dug a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared a place for it, and it took root, and it filled the land. This is the story of the people of Israel leaving Egypt, wandering through the wilderness, entering into the promised land, taking that promised land, and growing up and flourishing into a nation. And God uses the analogy that his people are a vine like that. But their story doesn't end as as brightly as it began. Because they fail as a vine. Later on, the prophet Isaiah would write, What more could I have done, speaking for God, for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I collected a a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? The people of Israel were a vine that failed and did not flourish and died. And the story of Jesus all throughout the Gospels, as we've been looking at it in this month, is that Jesus does everything Israel did not. Jesus completes everything Judah and Israel left incomplete. Jesus is the full and true Israel that Israel could not be themselves. And in each of his statements that Jesus makes in John, that we've been looking at in this series, what we see is that each of these statements is an invitation to trust in and depend on Jesus. If you were here the first week, we said, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus was inviting the people to sustain themselves and be uh, nourished by him. But there are people who didn't want the bread that he was offering. And it says at the end of John 6, that many of his disciples stopped following him. We said in the second week that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But there are a lot of people who rejected that invitation and they chose to continue to live in darkness. Jesus said, I am the gate for the sheep to enter in. But a lot of people said, I'm not a sheep. I'm not going to go through that gate. A couple weeks ago, Chris Inman shared that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. But a lot of people prefer bad shepherds than they do good shepherds. And then last week I taught on Jesus saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But there's lots of people who say, arrogant, intolerant, no, I'm going my way. What Jesus is saying again and again is, if you will trust in and depend on me and come to me, you will find life because I am worthy of your trust. We celebrated three people accepting that invitation today. But there are many others who say, no, I'm not going to accept that invitation. And Jesus begins by saying, hey, I am the true vine. And if you want to find life, you connect to me. The second thing Jesus says is that God's goal for us is to bear fruit. God's goal for his people is that they would bear fruit. 
Again, continuing this analogy of a vine and branches in John 15, 2, Jesus says, every branch in me, and again, we are the branches, that does not produce fruit, he removes, and every, and he prunes every branch so that it will produce fruit, and that it will produce even more fruit. And again, we live in the high desert. You have to work really hard to grow things here. I know, because my wife has a garden, and we work really hard. Uh, I work really hard at paying the water bill and transporting mulch. She does the rest of the hard work. Um, that's my contribution. But, but it is hard to grow fruit. And if you've ever traveled through a vineyard, if you've ever been on a wine tasting tour, you've ever been to Northern California or maybe Southern Arizona where that stuff grows, you know that it takes a tremendous amount of care. And what God's intention for us, his people is, is that we would move from having no fruit to having some fruit, to having more fruit, and to eventually having much fruit. This progression happens over these eight verses. Now, here's the struggle for us, even bigger than the struggle of trying to understand an agrarian world when most of us just get our grapes from the store. The biggest struggle for us, I think, when it comes to bearing fruit is that we spend more of our time worried about other people's fruit than we do our fruitfulness. Back to the beginning, the downside of social media is that we have never been given more access into the lives of other people and given the raw materials to experience comparison and insecurity. And for many of us, we are less focused on the fruitfulness that God wants us to do, and we're more focused on the fruitfulness that's happening in someone else's life. And, and the message throughout the scriptures is that it's not about comparison to others, it's about obedience to Jesus. And if you find yourself, your time, your effort, your energy, your thoughts being consumed by comparing yourself to others, the only two outcomes you're going to get are either insecurity or pride. You're either going to feel insecure in comparison to them and feel less because of what you're seeing from them. Reminds you, it's edited and filtered. It isn't the full story. Or you're going to end up in pride because you're going to feel better than them. Here's where you're not going to end up. Obedience to Jesus. And that's why Jesus again and again calls us to focus on creating an intentional connection with him so that we can walk in obedience. When you think about what it takes for some grapes to grow, it's a complicated situation. This kind of fruit takes good soil, the right amount of sun, rain, cultivation, time, and patience. I've, I've toured enough vineyards to know that from the moment a vineyard is planted until anybody drinks a good bottle of wine is seven years. And the problem is, for most of us, we don't measure time that way. We're now people. We're Amazon Prime people. We're like, it's already late if it's not here tomorrow, people. And here's the problem. When it comes to God's desire for us to bear fruits, we're measuring God's work the wrong way. Most of us measure God's work with a clock, whereas God tends to use a calendar. Most of us think about what's happening today 
as the end-all, be-all. We're, we're in the tyranny of the moment when what God is doing can't be fully measured in a day, can't be fully measured in a month, sometimes can't be fully measured in a year. And if the analogy that Jesus chose to describe fruitfulness with him is as slow as bringing grapes to life, I think we need to step back and remember that we shouldn't ever be able to fully decide whether something is fruitful or not in one moment. If you don't feel fruitful today, you may be right, but you also could be way wrong because today isn't the full statement of what God is doing in your life. And so I just want to encourage you, you're not going to get this from culture, but you do get this from the Holy Spirit. Patience. Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. When we remain rooted in Jesus, the fruit that he bears in us is a fruit that our world cannot bear in us. And what we see in this passage is that God is a better gardener than we are because he's wiser, he's more invested, and he's more patient than we are. Some of you have been in stress and anxiety and worry this year because you have such dreams and desires for your life and your future and you feel like you're giving it all you've got. And I just want to reset your perspective for a second. God is more committed to your future than you are. God is more invested in your flourishing and your fruitfulness than you are. He's wiser than you are. And if you don't think that's true, you need another sermon today. But he's also more patient than you are. And so if you are the branch attached to his vine, know that as he is seeking to bring you into flourishing fruitfulness, he's the wise, invested, patient gardener, and his goal for you is to bear fruit, so you don't have to worry and carry the burden of that. He's already committed to that. What you have to do is to attend to your responsibility in that, which is number three. Fruit bearing is all about remaining. And friends, this is why this passage is my needed and loved passage. John 15, four through five. Jesus says, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus says, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. That word that in the Christian standard Bible is translated remain, your Bible may have it as abide, is the Greek word meno. And it's often, depending on your translation in English, translated remain or abide. In just John 15, this one chapter, this word meno appears 11 times. It appears 40 times in John's gospel. And I'm going to remind you, this section of scripture we told you last week is called the upper room discourse. This is the conversation Jesus is having with his disciples the night before he's crucified. And so if you were having a conversation with somebody over dinner and they mentioned something 11 times to you while you were eating the main course, it probably is pretty important to pay attention to. 
And so Jesus is saying again and again, remain, 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 meno, 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 meno. Why? Because it is the most important thing for us. We can't control the weather in the world or in our lives. Remember, it needs sun. We're responsible for the soil. We can't know what branches to cut off in our lives. There's many things that only the gardener God knows, but the one thing that is our job is this word, remaining. I love what my my friend Steve Carter says. He says, keep the main thing, the remain thing. And it's funny, it kind of rhymes, it's a little bit cheesy, but it's a reminder that for many of us, we get caught up with wanting to do God's job and we end up abdicating our job. A lot of us want to be the one who controls the weather. We want to be the one who controls the pruning. We want to be the one who controls the the rain, the sun. Our job, first and foremost, is to remain, to simply stay connected. And friends, I will tell you, in the same way that I left my son on the concourse at State Farm Stadium, I have a pattern of leaving God behind. Just going my own way, doing my own thing, and getting far ahead from God. That's why this word meno means so much to me. In one of the dictionaries I read this week, the definition of meno is an inward, enduring, personal communion with God. You are living the remain thing when you are experiencing an inward, enduring, personal communion with God. And friends, that is not an easy thing in this world. It is way harder to remain in an inward, enduring, personal communion with God than it is to always have service on your cell phone. This will consume all of your effort and energy if you devote yourself to it. Because there are constant distractions and things that threaten to take our focus away from this. And this is where our enemy, Satan, will go to remove our focus. Because if he can create a break and an inattention in us to our inward, enduring, personal communion with God, then what we will become is a branch detached from the vine. And if you've ever been out to the store to buy flowers... Flowers look beautiful in the store, but there's one thing they can't do, bear fruit. A branch is done bearing fruit the day that it is chopped from the source of life. And when you stop attending to your meno, your inward enduring personal communion with God, you can do a lot of stuff, except bear the fruit that God wants you to bear. And we're promised in Scripture that if we will attend to this, what we will find is Jesus meeting us in that place. In James, the book written by the half-brother of Jesus who didn't believe in Jesus until he saw his half-brother raised from the dead, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So when we attend to remaining in him, when we focus on our witness with him, what we find is God begins to draw closer and closer to us. So question for you today, how is the state of your inward personal communion with Jesus? Is that state enduring? 
like the definition? Or is it fading? Is it not what it once was? Is it not what you would like it to be? See, remember, the the secret to fruitfulness is not nearness, but withness. I'm glad you're here today. I'm glad you're watching online. But in the same way that I missed my son when he was sitting next to me, you can miss God when you're sitting in church or watching church online. You can be near, but not with. And I just want to encourage you, friends, I have experienced the truth of this the hard way. I've experienced being a pastor, being in seminary, being in college, studying the Bible, and been near all of these sources of life from God, but missing it because I wasn't really with him. I was just depending on myself. I was just relying on myself. I was just paying attention to myself. The final thing Jesus says in this passage is that our fruitfulness is evidence of our faith. Our fruitfulness is public evidence of our faith. This passage ends beginning in John 15. Jesus says, if anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this. The word glorified means raised so it's easier to see. God is bigger and easier to see. How? When we produce much fruit and prove to be his disciples. Now, before we dive into some of the meaning of of this final verse, we got to discuss the fire. So this passage begins in verse 6 with a really sobering statement. Jesus says that those branches that do not produce fruit are cut off, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so you might be sitting here saying, Scott, should I be worried that I'm not okay with Jesus? Should I be worried that I'm not safe and secure with him? And I want to encourage something that we talk about a lot in Scripture when we study. You interpret Scripture with Scripture. We live in a world of sound bites or we pull one statement somebody said out of context and then persecute them on social media for it, judge them for their worst moment, take it out of context of everything else they've said. But we take Jesus in context. And what did Jesus say a few weeks ago when we were talking about I am the bread of life? This is what he said. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of these he's given to me, but I should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus says again and again throughout the Gospels, hey, those who are mine, I've got, and no one's going to take them away from me. So if you have put your belief and your faith and trust in Jesus, you are secure. But there are some who put on a charade for the world that they are something they are not and that they've done something they haven't. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus lets us know there'll be people who are false prophets. There'll be people who claim to follow Jesus, but they have never surrendered and trusted their life to him. And he says, on that last day, it will be a sobering day. Jesus could have also been saying that if we don't abide in him, yes, we'll find ourselves with him eternally, but all of the blessings and the rewards and the glory that will come from that will be burned away and we'll make it, but just barely. 
What is Jesus saying about fruit here? He says, first and foremost, fruit is visible. Have you ever walked past a fruit tree and seen an invisible crop? Like, man, that orange tree is flourishing. And your friend is like, no, it's not. There's nothing there. If I see a lemon tree and, and you smell the beautiful crop with your eyes closed, but then there was nothing there. No, if a tree is producing fruit, you can see it. And so if we're being fruitful, that fruit is always visible. Fruit is always visible and our lives are producing visible fruit all the time. Two, fruit reflects the character of a tree. So if you see an apple tree, guess what? That apple tree is going to produce apples. If you see a lemon tree, that lemon tree is going to produce lemons. If you see a grapevine, it's going to produce grapes. If you see an ornamental orange tree, I'm sorry, they're terrible to taste. They're just good to look at. But a tree produces certain kinds of fruit, and a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And in Matthew 7, Jesus speaks to this really clearly, and he says, if you want to know who somebody is, don't listen to their words, watch their life. Because their fruit will always come out. It's easy to talk. Watch how somebody lives and you'll tell the quality of their life and what source of life they are attached to. Finally, fruit exists for the benefit of others. When a tree produces fruit, it is the most generous act. Because a a tree can't eat its own fruit. Friend, you don't exist for yourself. This is not about you. Following Jesus has its end and purpose, and it's not in you. You, as a follower of Jesus, exist for others. And the fruit he wants to produce in you is great, but guess what? It's not for you. It's for others. That's why you can't be growing to be more like Jesus and at the same time become more self-absorbed and selfish. Those are tracks that are going in very different directions. And the secret to all this fruitfulness, it's not nearness, it's withness. It's being with him, remaining in him. So today, before you go, I want to encourage you to take some next steps today. These are on the back of your handout. If you've already turned it over, turn it back over to the front for a second. I love that sound. If you haven't read ahead, I want to warn you. You're not going to enjoy these first two steps. I didn't enjoy them. And part of the reason why is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. If you answer these first two steps and you do them, you're going to be accountable. You're going to have to face the truth. And once you actually know the truth, you're going to be accountable for it. So I just want to warn you before you get in here, these are not easy. So you can turn the page now. Number one, I want to encourage you to pick the adjective which accurately describes your inward personal communion with God. In that definition, the adjective that's in between inward and personal is enduring. What's your adjective? If it's been a while since you've been in English class, an adjective is a word that describes something else. Is your inward personal communion with God as quiet as this moment right now? See, once you pick the adjective, you're accountable. You've you got to face it. That's why most of us don't name it. 
because then we're going to be accountable to do something with it. Number two, ask a friend to share about the fruit they see coming from your life. I told you, these are not going to be easy. But here's the thing. They already see the fruit. They already know the answer to this question. The only question they have is, do you actually care to know? And once they tell you, if your friendships are like mine, there's going to be a vibe in the room because then you're going to be accountable for what they just said. But what they just gave you was a gift. They showed you what's in your blind spot. And if they love you enough to tell you the truth, I promise they probably love you enough to help you walk with you to see that blind spot become something that's not bad fruit, but good fruit. And then finally, I want to encourage you to identify what is your next step towards remaining with Jesus and take it today. There's a a law at work in the world called the law of diminishing intent. It's the difference between when you hear a sermon on Sunday morning and you think about it on Monday morning. You have intent right now to live it out. You will have diminishing intent the rest of today and into tomorrow. And so I'd encourage you, before that intent has fully diminished, take your next step today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you are a God of second chances. And though it was embarrassing to leave Wesley on the concourse that day, there have been so many moments, Jesus, that I've left you behind. I wasn't following you. I was expecting you to catch up with me. And I pray that today our hearts would be captured by this image of abiding with you. Jesus, the challenges that we're facing in this room, the challenges that people who are listening to me online right now are facing are overwhelming. And Jesus, we cannot face them in our own power and strength, much less bear the fruit you want us to bear on our own. So I pray this week that we wouldn't just experience the nearness of your presence coming closer to us, but that we would be consciously aware and with you, open to you, connected and engaged with you, so that you might produce fruit in us that exceeds even our wildest imaginations. Thank you for the promise that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. May we be with you this week.